It is a type of carotenoid, and it comes from foods that are very rich in the orange and red pigments. Think of the carrot and beta carotene, but it's not just carrots that are rich in beta carotene, and they're important because antioxidants fight cancer, and that's very important, especially in this Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. Today on the show, we will be rethinking pink. In fact, we're going to be changing our colors all together as we wrap up our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series, because today, orange is the new pink. Well, what does that mean? It means beta carotene, that wonderful, brightly colored nutrient that is a cancer-fighting heavyweight. Dietitian Susan Levin, she will be here with me to shed some light on how your body unlocks these nutrients that are found in the orange foods and then turns them loose in your body to track down cancer cells. And when you hear just how effective they can be, you may just want to put a sweet potato on your plate tonight. And then we're going to be hearing from Jesse Davidson, a young woman newlywed, still in her 20s, who was blindsided by a breast cancer diagnosis. Jessie will walk us through her emotional journey and the incredibly difficult decisions that she faced. Not even 30, and she was challenged with this. And you'll hear how she connected the dots to realize that there is a direct connection between cancer and your kitchen. And then Dr. Christy Funk will be here with the fourth and final step to beating breast cancer. And if you followed the first three, this one really should almost happen automatically. The Physicians Committee's Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign is made possible in part by Naked Food Magazine, the whole food plant-based nutrition approach in a beautiful and easily digestible magazine. Check out the latest issue now at nakedfoodmagazine.com. By One Day to Wellness, created by Bruce and Mindy Milray after being inspired to make big diet and lifestyle changes. Now this healthy power couple travels across the country providing inspiration and education on plant-based nutrition in a big old vegetable-covered RV. Learn more about Bruce and Mindy and their wellness wagon at onedaytowellness.org. And by Arbonne Independent Consultant Nancy Fitzgibbon, offering an eco-friendly product line including skincare, cosmetics, and nutrition for over 38 years. Arbonne, providing sustainable and cruelty-free products. Browse their selection at arbon.com. That's A-R-B-O-N-N-E dot com. Time now to rethink pink with dietitian Susan Levin. And this time we're combating breast cancer with the color orange. You know, we should really be filling our plates with foods that are shaded with this unofficial color of fall. 
Because the beta carotene that gives them that magnificent complexion, well, that is the same nutrient that can help kick cancer to the curb. Orange is the new pink. That's what we're talking about today on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Sitting across the table from dietitian extraordinaire Susan Levin from the Barnard Medical Center. Welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. It is absolutely my pleasure to have you here. And the majority of time that you're on, I feel like you and I inevitably wind up talking about some sort of athletic benefit that comes with the plant-based diet. But today we're going to be doing something completely Not different. Not doing that. No, not, not going to trick me into that. <laughs> Not today, but maybe, just maybe, beta carotene is beneficial to athletes as well. Darn it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, orange is the new pink. So what we are talking about here today is the health benefits from orange foods. And my first question to you, Susan, is this. Simply put, what is beta carotene? Well, beta carotene is an antioxidant, so a very powerful antioxidant, and it is a type of carotenoid, and it comes from foods that are very rich in the orange and red pigments, um, and you could think of a carrot and beta carotene, but it's not just carrots that are rich in beta carotene, and they're important because antioxidants um, fight cancer, and that's very important, especially in this breast cancer. Cancer Awareness Month. Oh, you're not kidding. I mean, well, October and really the 11 other months as well. Right. I mean, super, super important. Always. Um, I know that there's a connection between beta carotene and vitamin A as mm-hmm. well. What is that? Yeah. So when we eat plants that are rich in beta carotene, we convert it into vitamin A. So some people use those terms interchangeably, but actually it's the beta carotene that is uh, so critical and shown to be um, very uh, cancer fighting and and the the source you want to get from plants. And let's let's try to put some numbers on this. I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. How effective is this in terms of breast cancer prevention? Is is this one of the things that we should really be putting a huge focus on? We should. I mean, besides the fact that it's one of the major antioxidants, um, so that's your A, C, E, zinc, selenium, those are the, the big antioxidants. But there are actual studies that show that women who consume the most of these beta-carotene-rich Um, food sources have a 19% reduced risk for developing breast cancer. And that's that's a huge um, risk reduction. So really important to focus on these foods. Enormous. That's, yeah. that's daggone near 20%. One in five. That's, that's a big old drop. That's a big old drop. I like that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to kind of what we were talking about right at the top. It's like, what is it? How does it work? You mentioned antioxidants mm. helping to fight cancer. Let's let's get a little bit more nerdy than that. So specific to beta carotene, like how does this thing really help prevent breast cancer? Yeah. So when we say antioxidants, it's quite literal. When you are just living your life, things are oxidizing in your body, and certainly there are there are things you can do in your life that are pro-oxidizing and then things you can do that are anti-oxidizing. And when when we're experiencing this oxidation inside of our bodies, there are certain components that we can put in to buffer that. And those are the antioxidants, right? And these 
super colorful foods, full of antioxidants. It's because these plants, they themselves rely on these powerful um, colors and carotenoids to protect them living their harsh little lives out there in the dirt. They need to be protected. And when we eat them, we um, impart that protection in our own bodies. So it's it's a pretty uh, amazing relationship we have with our plant friends. Um, they're trying to protect themselves, and they're happy to share that that natural component they have with us i never even thought it like that that they are protecting themselves and in turn we then can reap the same benefits exactly that's awesome isn't it and it's all about those colors like those colors that pop out with our fruits and veggies um beans black beans you know we talk about how dark chocolate specifically just the cocoa uh, has such rich antioxidant properties protecting those little guys out there in the big bad world um, they're happy to share it if you just consume them. I know that you just made a lot of people smile when you mentioned chocolate. Not the high-fat <laughs> chocolate. The the nasty, unsweetened, pure cocoa. Yes, but you can take that nasty, unsweetened, pure cocoa and like just sweeten that up with natural fruits That's like right. bananas and dates and, and I do things it, like that. Oh, yeah. I do it all the time. It's great. Oh, man. You know, you, you, I, that's a mainstay in the smoothie. Like you, you got to get a little bit. Absolutely. Even if it's a green smoothie. Like, my wife is so on board the chocolate train. She's just like, I know that that's got spinach and that's got kale and that's got oranges. It's got this. It's got that. But go ahead and sprinkle a little mm-hmm. cocoa in there, too. Yeah, it's good uh, for you. Good for you. Like, okay, honey, whatever you want. Um, <laughs> that's a good answer. I know, man. She's all aboard. Choo-choo for chocolate. Um We have talked extensively this month, Susan, about the link between a high-fat diet and cancer and poor dietary choices in general. So generally speaking, again here, how many cancer cases are indeed directly linked to what it is that we are putting in our bodies? Well, it's estimated, and I believe it's the World Health Organization that concluded that about a third, maybe 30% of all cancers are diet-related. But it really depends on the cancer, Mm -hmm. some less, some more. When you're talking about something like colorectal cancer, it's a much higher percentage that's linked to what you're eating. Um, things like breast cancer, for sure, or any any hormone-related um, cancer is going to be directly influenced by what you're eating, your body weight, et cetera. But on average, I would say about a third are diet-related. So just if we watched what we ate, we could lower that by a third, Which one is a, out of three. Right. When, when most people actually think cancer is this – you know, this monster that we have zero control over, um, but when in fact our diet has that much control Mm -hmm. over, and we all know like cigarettes and tobacco and lung cancer, but um, sun and skin cancer, but when our diet is playing that big of a role, we have have so much control over that. And it's not to say that there's any diet that is um, going to solve this issue, right? but the fact that you can have let's just say, on average, 30% control, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Right? right. So pretty good deal. I mean, would you turn down a lottery ticket if you had a 30% chance of winning millions? Oh, I love I love that analogy. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and the correlation, I think, is, is so fascinating because one of the stats that's really jumped out this month in particular is that one out of every eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. That is an extraordinary number. And it wasn't always that way. 
it used to be, uh, you know, probably 14 and then one out of every 30 and even lower than that as we go back in time. But mm-hmm. as our dietary choices changed, as the right. standard American diet became more and more adopted, then we started to see these cases of chronic disease rise, breast cancer among them. Right. And you and you could see you don't even have to roll back the calendar too much. You see it when people move here from other countries and just go from a traditional diet, maybe an Eastern, you know, Asian diet to a Western diet. And it's just immediately your risk is through the roof. Mm -hmm. So it's so clearly connected. And isn't it uh, true that a low-fat diet, like that is kind of like what we've been talking about here, like that is one of the best forms of defense in terms of cancer. So, you know, people that tend to have that lower body weight, generally at a lower risk of chronic disease. Exactly. So that's one of the key recommendations for reducing your risk for cancer is maintaining a healthy body weight. But Absolutely, when you're talking about these hormone-related cancers, and that could be prostate cancer, that could be breast cancer, ovarian, um, they are they are really affected by body weight because your the storage of fat is so closely connected to your hormone production. Mm-hmm. That's that is just so fascinating to me. Like when I was still overweight, that is not even something that I I even considered was like, wow, man, like now my whole body is just wrapped in this, you know, cancer promoting environment. Like I didn't even think about that. It was always the focus was on my heart. Like I knew that it was a heart disease, you know, a, a high risk for that, that I would have a heart attack. But you really don't understand that you, your risk is like so high for all forms of cancer at that point, right. all forms. And chronic disease. Like and, you mentioned, it's f- fine to be focused on heart disease. I think we all should be thinking about that too. But what's so great about eating low-fat, plant-based diet, it's not just the diet for cancer prevention. It's the diet for heart disease prevention, diabetes prevention, getting you to a healthy weight. Um, And then if you have these conditions, it's not too late. This is the diet that helps you to reverse them. This is the diet that protects you from recurrence. So what I love about these dietary recommendations, again, is it's, it's, it's for everything. It's not like here's the handout on cancer, here's the handout on diabetes, here's the handout on weight loss. They are all related mm-hmm. and they all work with this one diet. It's just it's the greatest thing. And then not even to get into sustainability and um, everything else that comes along, all the benefits. It really is quite remarkable. And the thing is, you're not just flapping your gums over there for the sake of hearing you speak. Like you're you're talking about facts that have been backed up with study after study after study, right? That's right. I mean, I yeah, that's the whole point of all of this is that it's evidence-based. And when you look at the science, there's there's one diet. All, all roads lead to low-fat plant-based eating, and that just really is the gold standard. And, and there have even been uh, researchers who have analyzed, I mean, just tens of thousands. I think uh, one particular study that was published in the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, I mean, the, the Adventist Health Study too, right, looked at over 70,000 people, and then they analyzed their diet broken into five different categories. They had vegan, lacto-ovo-vegetarian, semi-vegetarian, pesco-vegetarian, and non-vegetarian. And they came to some like really strong conclusions there, didn't they? They did. So they found that those who followed the non-vegetarian or the group that ate meat, basically, and dairy and eggs, they consumed the most saturated fat, the least fiber, and especially when you compare with the vegan group who ate the least saturated fat and the most fiber. And studies time and time again showed that the vegan, vegan populations do tend to consume the most fiber course fibers only found in plants so that's no big surprise um and important to this conversation is that the vegan group also consumed the most beta carotene 
potassium, magnesium, and all these components of a plant-based diet that you're just not going to get when you're displacing that opportunity with meat or animal products for sure. And this is true for kids too. We know that children also who um, of, who eat plant-based diets, consume less saturated fat, less cholesterol, and um, more fruits and vegetables. And that only means they, too, are getting more beta carotene, more fiber, more potassium, more of these micronutrients that are protecting them against these diseases we're talking about, including cancer. And that goes back to what you were talking about, the the you know, plant-based diet being so good for so many different diseases is because these nutrients are fighters for so many of these different diseases. So whether you're focused on heart disease or you're focused on breast cancer, you know, just kind of by default, you're you're getting this protection from so many others as well. That's right. And then the, and then the big picture, you're also reducing your risk for things like obesity um, and being overweight, which puts you at higher risk for all these diseases. So it's just, it's a it's a cycle. It's a cycle of protection or it can be a cycle of disease you choose. Specific to recurrence though, I'm curious, um, if, if a woman is eating a low fat diet, how much lower is her risk of recurrence? I'm sure that that's something that some people have looked at. Yeah, so yes, <laughs> there was a study of about 10,000 women that found that those who consume um, low fat diets have a 23% lower risk for breast cancer recurrence and a 17% lower risk for dying from the disease. And that's just by consuming a low-fat diet. That's not all, even all these other protective factors we're talking about. So imagine the power a diet can have mm. when it's low-fat and high in components like beta-carotene. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's extraordinary to me. Again, we're talking about big numbers. You would not turn down a lottery ticket with a 17% chance of winning, you know? I would not. <laughs> no, you'd be a fool to when your right. odds right now are like 1 in 83 gajillion, right? Right, um, and, and people are buying them. So question, uh, in your experience, you know, somebody who does this stuff for a living, analyzes food, nutrients for a living, how much can a woman lower her risk of breast cancer? If she's bulking up on beta carotene, lowering the amount of fat in her diet, and completely eliminating red processed meat, all animal products, I you know it, it's an, it, unfortunately you can't just add up numbers and divide in this case because these are so different. But we you know we've already talked about diet being related to thirty percent of cancers, reducing your risk um, by consuming more beta carotene, and reducing your risk for breast cancer recurrence by just lowering your fat. So, again, when you talk about eating only plants, keeping it entirely low-fat, like 10 to 15% of your calories from low-fat, lots of fiber, lots of beta-carotene, I just really feel like the sky's almost the limit in terms of the protection that you can provide to yourself by eating this way and avoiding the foods that we know lead to cancer and are carcinogenic to humans like processed meat products are. Um, so, you know, I hesitate to say, all I can ever say to someone is take as much control of your health as you can. And we know that eating a low-fat plant-based diet is the way to do that. You know what we haven't talked about yet is no. we've been saying beta-carotene, beta-carotene, eat it, eat it, eat it. But how much should we be eating? That's that's the big question that's still hanging out there. Yeah. So we know from our own government's dietary recommendations that we need about three to six milligrams of beta carotene each day, which means nothing to anybody, right? <laughs> so let's put that in perspective. And I'm completely ripping this off of our own infographic of orange is the new pink, which I Love the title and love the infographic. Um, but you can see in that infographic some good um, uh, uh, pictures of foods. And we know, for example, okay, three to six milligrams, what is that? 
one medium sweet potato, I could eat three, but one <laughs> medium one has 14 milligrams of beta carotene. So you're already surpassing uh, what you even need as suggested by the um, dietary recommendations. A cup of butternut squash, and I'm seeing butternut squash everywhere lately, um, has nine milligrams of beta carotene. And again, that's not that much. Um, let's see, what else? What are, what's a common, red peppers. I was chopping up a red pepper the other day to put in my chili. And a cup of chopped red pepper has 2.4. Um, micro, uh, milligrams of beta mm-hmm. carotene. So you could, you know, carrots, um, pumpkin, apricots, grapefruits. All these foods are going to have a pretty good amount of beta carotene, especially just to get you the, to in that three to six range. No problem. And the cool part is, as we record this, it's fall, which means that all of those, you know, autumn squashes are out there. You I know, know. it's so, and pum- yeah, pum- which I guess a pumpkin. Uh, well, is, it, is. it counts. Well, a pumpkin is a gourd, not a squash. Is it? I, I don't even oh know. My right? Gosh. I know, right? I, I should remember that we did a whole show on it. But oh my you know, gosh. anyway, like you, you go to to the store now, and it's just the produce section is just loaded up with everything. Acorn squash is one of my absolute favorites. And butternut squash, that's something you can eat year-round because it's readily available frozen. Yeah, right? that's true. So you just that's pop true. that out and it's mm-hmm. great. And I love to roast that and put that in salads. It's so good. And there's no shame in a can of pumpkin. I got to tell you, you don't have to be scraping out a pumpkin. Preach. A can of pumpkin. Preach. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing that this weekend. Uh, my wife has been on me to make uh, my world-famous pumpkin chili. Wow. Yeah. With a can of pumpkin? Well, well, yeah. Like a puree? Yeah, a puree. I mean, here's the thing, right? So it's like I could go out, buy a pumpkin, and roast it and do the whole thing and puree it. But that's a process, right? I want to actually spend time with my wife. (laughs) And there's football to watch. So I can't be in the kitchen all day. So we just kind of expedite the process. The can opener. The can opener. Yeah. Or or they come in like little boxes, too. Oh, yeah. So... It works out. And I I wish we were on camera because I think your shirt probably has 17 milligrams of beta carotene. (laughs) Don't forget the tie. The tie has eight. (laughs) It is an orange day here on the exam room. Um, So uh, real quick, I know that we have a a ton of recipes uh, up on our website that include beta carotene rich foods. Um, What are some of uh, your favorites that that, uh, you've gone through and, and maybe kind of pulled out and said, hey, man, you should be eating this tonight? Well, I'll just um, keep riding that pumpkin puree train. I made one time a pumpkin smoothie. Um, I just pulled it out of my hat. I didn't. I, I was entering a contest for Halloween desserts or something like that. I was like, okay, can of pumpkin, a little bit of maple syrup, and I won the contest. And I noticed we have a pumpkin. I don't know if this was my recipe. Probably not. But we have a pumpkin smoothie recipe on our website. It was pretty darn tootin' good. And I am a huge sweet potato fan. So anything you can. St- Sticking a sweet potato in, whether it's a chili or just baked fries. Um, there's a sweet potato burrito on our website. Anything, you can just bake a sweet potato. You can bake five sweet potatoes and just heat them up uh, every day. They're a great snack. I know lots of people just snack on sweet potatoes mm-hmm. because it gives you that sweet. You can also put some salt on it and get sort of that sweet and salty fix that you might need. So any any of those recipes are the ones I usually go for. You know what I like to do with sweet potatoes is really easy. Just chop it up, kind of cube it, right? And then with no real spice on it whatsoever, you just dump that in the air fryer and you cook those up and then you store it so you got these cubes. And just like I was saying, with the with the uh, roasted butternut squash, I take that too and I, I will put the... Uh, the uh, Sweet potatoes right in the salad as well. Oh. And I'm telling you, it, it's just this little extra something, something that it's like, man. 
That is a tasty salad. You're selling that air fryer. I'm telling you. Hey, man, I don't get paid to sell the air fryer. I won't even name the brand, but I will say I am a fan of air fryers. You can get quite creative in there. Quite creative. <laughs> Noted. Uh, and then, of course, Autumn Stew. So check that out, right? That is uh, all up on pcrm.org slash recipes. There is a wealth, a wealth, a wealth of recipes on there. I mean, we're just dozens and dozens, probably well over 100 at this point. I mean, there's just so daggone many. That's true. And they're all tested, tried and true. That's right. All part of our uh, also 21-day uh, vegan kickstart. You can download that app 100% free of charge. A wealth of information to get you going, plus those all-important recipes. Exactly, exactly. All right, and if you want to visit Susan Levin, she is not just a guest on the exam room. She is indeed a real-life, living, breathing, practicing dietitian extraordinaire who can get you on your journey to health. So check her out at the Barnard Medical Center right here in beautiful Northwest Washington, D.C. Susan Levin, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you, Chuck. What would you do if you were in your 20s, recently married, still in the prime of your life, but instead of holding the world in the palm of your hand, your world was turned on its head? It's a question nobody wants to think about, but it's also one that Jesse Davidson had to answer head on. Jessie was only 28 when she found a lump in her breast, and from that moment, her whole life changed, and she was forced to embark on an emotional journey that tested her strength and her sanity. The decisions that she faced were heart-wrenching, but her resolve was stronger than any pain. And it was along her journey that Jessie discovered the link between food and disease. I had the opportunity to catch up with her just a little over a year since she first received that diagnosis, and she was all too happy to give us an update on her progress and share what she has learned so that the next woman may not have to face that same rocky road. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. And it is time now to put the spotlight on inspiration. I am so honored to be joined by this woman today. She is the epitome of hope and inspiration, and I think that you will get a lot out of her story. And with that, we welcome Jesse Davidson to the show. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm sure that you really are genuinely thrilled to be here because this last year, a little over a year, has probably been just an absolute whirlwind for you, hasn't it? It it really has. It's life-changing, absolutely. And um, you were how old when you were diagnosed with breast cancer? I was diagnosed at 28 years old. Um, I actually felt the lump myself. Uh, just a couple of weeks after my 28th birthday. And, uh, you know, at that point I was, I'd like to think in the best shape of my life. I had just completed my first Olympic triathlon and I was running and swimming and biking all the time and knew my body very well at that point. And, um, yeah, I, I, I discovered it myself actually just a couple of weeks after my birthday. 
And this really, I mean, to hear that, you're so young, you're in such great shape, you get this diagnosis, well, you find that lump, then you get the diagnosis. I mean, your world must have just been flipped right on its head. Oh, completely, completely. I remember actually being lying down uh, during the biopsy, and it, it was a really surreal experience for me because I just had an ultrasound, and they said, okay, this lump is a little bit funny, you know, in some way. And so we're going to do the biopsy. And I was, I was laying there and I could see the needle going in to the lump. Um, there was, you know, the ultrasound was there. And, and so I was able to see it. And I remember thinking in that moment, how is this happening to me? Mm. You know, I, I, yeah, my, my age is, is definitely a, a factor in that surprise, but also just my health and how, how health conscious I, I, was how I thought I was really. I've, I've made some changes since then, but uh, it really was a surreal experience. And you said that you, you found the lump when you were doing uh, a self-exam. This is something that you had started since college, right? I believe in, in this amazing blog that you wrote that you started doing that in the showers because they had a diagram in those stalls that showed you how to do it. Exactly. So they, they're pretty common, I, I think, in colleges and also gyms. They're not everywhere, but Absolutely, they should be. And, and as you just mentioned, I got in the habit starting at 18 years old um, to do these monthly self-exams. So from a very young age, I knew what was normal. And I think that's really, really key for early diagnosis and self-diagnosis is you know what's normal, you know what feels normal, and then you're just that much more um, attuned to when something is, is different. So when you first saw that sign when you were 18, did you think, like, there's just no way this is ever going to happen to me? But let me just double check to make sure everything's on the up and up here. There was an aspect of that, absolutely. I, I was a little bit more aware of breast cancer just simply because my, my maternal grandmother had breast cancer at 40 years old. So it was always just kind of this thing in the back of my mind that okay, this, this, there is a family history sort of, um, of breast cancer, but it wasn't, for me, it wasn't like, oh, this is impending doom. This is going to happen. It was really just a way for me to be more in tune with my body and, and know that everything was okay. So you had been doing these exams for the better part of a decade. And then talk to me about your thought process, what ran through your mind when you discovered that lump that you ultimately brought you to the doctors? So my thought process was, it's probably nothing, right? And, and the vast majority of lumps are that, that women find themselves are cysts. They come and go throughout the month, um, throughout the years. And so I, I went to Google <laughs> and I tried to, um, figure out what was going on just just to wrap my head around what are the potential possibilities here. So uh, that's where I found out that most are just cystic lumps and they, they just go away. Um, so I waited a month actually before I went to the doctor because I thought, okay, if this is something that is cystic, that is hormonally, you know, driven throughout the, the course of the month, it'll go away. And um, after a month, it, it hadn't gone away. And at that point, I was, you know, feeling it almost every day, multiple times a day, like, is it still there? Is it still there? And, and it was. So 
after, after, like I said, about a month, it was just very obvious to me that, Hey, this is not going away on its own. I really need to go get this checked out by a professional. So I had the, the amazing fortune of actually being under the care of a physician who had had breast cancer herself. So when I went in to see her, there was no, you're too young for this. There was no, it's got to be 5,000 other things before it's breast cancer. It was taken very seriously right off the bat. And I've talked to other young women my age who did not have that experience. They went into their doctor about something concerning and they were written off. They said, oh, you know, it, it, it couldn't be something that bad. You know, it's, you know, come back in six months or whatever it is. Right. So I definitely feel fortunate that I had a doctor who, who took it very seriously, got me right in for an ultrasound and a mammogram and then, and then the biopsy. When you made that appointment, you waited that month. And you, that morning of the appointment, what kind of emotions were you feeling then? Were you still kind of thinking, eh, still probably nothing? Or were you really kind of nervous at that point because it hadn't gone away through that hormone cycle? Yeah, I was nervous at that point. I was. I was definitely nervous that, um, you know, the reality of hearing the big C, you know, hearing hearing the word cancer was definitely you know, a, a very real possibility at that point. Um, you know, it's funny, even on my ultrasound, the technician wrote probably fibroadenoma. And I don't know where that inclination came from. Was it just my age or, or what it was? But even at that point, I thought, how could they even say that? How could they even say it's probably a fibroadenoma, which is just, um, just kind of a, a, a clump, it's benign. You know, even then I, I was cued off that, hey, you know, this this could be something much more serious. So I was nervous. I was nervous. And as the results started to trickle in, I mean, when did reality kind of sink in for you? August 3rd, uh, 2018. Um, as many you know, I'm sure a lot of a lot of cancer patients have those those dates kind of seared into their brains. But yeah, it was August 3rd when I I was waiting for the biopsy results, um, and I had had the biopsy done uh, the previous Wednesday. This was a Friday, and so it was very very quick turnaround. And I actually got my results by calling the the doctor's office and asking. Hey, I haven't gotten them yet. Do you have any news for me? And they said, check your email. And so I read actually in an email from the surgeon that, um, that it was cancer mm. and I was at work actually. And, um, immediately of course had to leave and I called my husband and he met me at home and, uh, yeah, that was really the day that everything changed it was August 3rd, the actual diagnosis. What was that conversation like, if you don't mind my asking, with your husband? I, I imagine that was one of the more difficult and raw conversations you've ever had in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember I we we got home about the same time, and um, I was walking up the driveway. He was walking down the sidewalk, and we we met and just started hugging and crying immediately. It was. Um, it was just so scary because when you get a diagnosis like that, there are no answers. There are absolutely no answers. There are only questions. Mm -hmm. And 
we had so many questions, you know, how serious is this? How far along is it? What is the staging? And, and all of these answers come with time, but that's also a really excruciating process because every single test you take, uh, you know, you don't get the answers immediately. You're going to have to wait a week, two weeks for all of these very, very serious things like the staging, the oncotype, if you're HER2 positive, um, the BRCA genetic test. I mean, there's all of these different things that you need to do to gather information to make the most um, informed decisions. But that that time is, I mean, it's going to be at least a month, maybe longer, that you're just waiting kind of in this purgatory of, okay, this thing is still inside me, it's still growing, and yet we can't make any decisions yet because they might be the wrong decisions. Right, right. And, and inside your head, it's probably just screaming, get it out, get it out, get it out, right? Absolutely. Oh, before I even knew that it was cancer, I wanted it out. When I thought it was when I was told it was probably just a fibroadenoma, I said, oh, no, I just want it out of there. You know, it, um, it's a very unsettling feeling to have something growing inside of you that isn't supposed to be there. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine, uh, you know, seriously. I mean, we sit here laughing about it, but I mean, that is that is some serious stuff. Um, you you were a newlywed here. And again, if you don't mind my asking, how did this affect your marriage privately? Were there any concerns like this may be too big of a test too early? You know, it's, it's really, um, it was an incredible experience for us to go through for so many reasons. But I think that the, the first year of marriage was Everything was exciting. It was new. We had been together for several years, but it was still, you know, using that word husband for the first time was really, really amazing. Uh, and then when I was diagnosed, it was, it was like our vows really meant something. You know, it was, okay, this isn't all going to be rosy and sweet and honeymoon phase forever. And you know, obviously this is a much more serious reality check than most people ever get in their lives. Uh, but for us, it was like, wow, the, these are the, the trials that they talk about in life and we are living it. Um, my husband, Shaw, was my rock through everything, you know, through preparing for surgery, through making decisions about what type of surgery I was going to have. He was there for me every step of the way. And fortunately he owns his own business and so he was able to spend a lot of time with me and we're very fortunate for that that he's self-employed and so uh he was able to be there for me and i know that to this day he still tells me that he cries multiple times a week you know and we both do there's not a day that goes by that we don't think about what we've been through you got a good man Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> I do. So let's let's talk about this. So the the month elapses where you guys are waiting for those results, and when all of those results came in, what was it that you discovered? Yeah. So uh, one of the first test results that I got back was the HER2 test. So that um, the HER2 is is it the test? There is an indication of how uh, how severe, I guess, and how quickly the cancer is growing. The HER2 positive cancers seem to be more aggressive. So that was negative. Um, and HER2 for, for someone my age pretty much immediately means uh, a chemotherapy. So uh, 
that was, you know, one bullet dodged. The next test that we got back was the BRCA test. So this, I was like in my head, completely convinced it was going to be positive because of my, my family history that my grandmother also had breast cancer at a very young age at, at 40. So I thought for sure that was going to be positive. And when you guess it, it came back, it came back negative. Hmm. So for me, that was actually really difficult to, to get that test result back showing, proving that I did not have a genetic link, uh, was really difficult for me. And, and it was unsettling because it was like, okay, if it's not genetic, what is doing this? Why did this happen? And I wanted that scapegoat so badly, so badly, and I didn't get it. So you then, I'm sure, just started weighing your treatment options. And what were some of the things that were on the table? Pretty much every option was on the table for me. Um, I could have had a lumpectomy with radiation. I could have had a single mastectomy or a double mastectomy. Um, I could have gone flat. I could have had implants. Uh, there's any number of things that, that were available. And one thing that's really uh, important to note is that all of them have the same outcome, essentially, for recurrence rates. So that actually, for me, learning that actually from my surgeon, Dr. Christy Funk, that to me was an incredible weight off of my shoulders that I didn't need to make a decision based on fear, you know, that all of these different options had the same potential outcome for survivability and recurrence and, and so forth. So for me, it became a lifestyle decision. Um, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm super active, triathlete, running, swimming, all of this. And so I wanted to be able to get back to uh back to my life, you know, as, as soon as possible in, in those regards, my, my physical abilities. So I opted for a double mastectomy with immediate reconstruction, um, which, of course, I should mention isn't an option for everybody, but it was, it was amazing for me because it was a one-and-done surgery. Um, I, was, I felt very, very lucky to have made uh, – Dr. Christy Fung's acquaintance. We actually have a, a family tie. I'm friends with her nephew. Uh, and, and I bring that up because my, uh, another surgeon that I had a, a meeting with was going to um, completely change me physically, to be honest. Um, mm. A more uh, conservative surgery, some would say, would be to go straight across the breast um, and, uh, Dr. Funk was able to go under, so I don't have any visible scarring. I was also able to keep my nipples. So those were all things that for me were able, gave me the, the, you know, physical body confidence to, to move on with my life a little bit. Right. And, and even, even though you say that all of the options basically kind of gave you the, the same risk of recurrence. Um, you, in your blog, you had written something to the effect of the double mastectomy also gave you a peace of mind. Like it, it helped you out with your sanity. Is that just because it was all gone at that point? Kind of like we were talking about, just get it out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, 
when there isn't any more breast tissue left, there's definitely in your mind, it's like, okay, there's less of a chance. Even though the numbers will tell you differently, it was peace of mind for me that, okay, the potential of whatever was naturally organically in my breast tissue is just gone. Right. So that, you know, cleared it off of the table. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about after you make the decision and leading up to the surgery itself, what was that process like for you? Because I understand that maybe you live outside of Los Angeles, but obviously that's where Dr. Funk's offices are. So you were making the drive in and that's a lot of time for you to think and let your mind just kind of wonder what if. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do live about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles in Santa Barbara. So I was making several trips down to the LA area and there was a lot of time to think. And I definitely flipped back and forth a couple of times about what I wanted to do, what my potential treatment's going to be afterward. And there was a lot of time to, to think. Um, but leading up to surgery, the last few days before, I was totally clear in my head, you know, that this was going to be the absolute best decision for me, for my future health, for my confidence, um, all of those things combined really, really made the decision very clear for me. And what about the morning of the actual procedure? Uh, I know you, you said that you had this piece, but I would still imagine, I mean, this is still a huge, huge, huge thing. Were there some jitters? Was there any level of anxiety there? There was until the Valium kicked in. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there there was, I remember we, my my parents came down with my husband and I and we stayed in, in a hotel um, the night before and the morning of, we had to get up super, super early. I think it was something like four o'clock in the morning and I got in the shower and felt my breasts for the last time um, and we drove to, to the hospital and... I just had it in my head that this was just so necessary at that point, that there wasn't any room for for questioning it um, at that point. I, I was nervous just because it was my essentially my very first surgery, my first mm-hmm. long surgery. Just a week before that, Dr. Christy Funk had, had um, performed a nipple delay technique, um, kind of a, a surgery in a sentinel node biopsy as well. So that was just a little mini surgery. And then, and then we had this big one and, um, it was so funny. I remember being wheeled in and the anesthesiologist knew that I was from Santa Barbara and he started talking about ice cream and we have a very famous ice cream, uh, here in Santa Barbara called McConnell's. And so he was just totally easing me into it by talking about the different flavors and what's your favorite and all of that. So by the time that I actually went under, I think I was in a very calm, peaceful place. And, uh, and when I actually, when I came out, um, I was wheeled into my room and in kind of my anesthesia stage, uh, I, I called out, I could hear my parents and my husband in the room and I called out the new and improved Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> So I definitely had a had a positive outlook throughout throughout that whole day. 
Yeah. That the one thing that I've learned in doing the shows throughout this month is that a positive outlook is as important as anything throughout this entire journey. It is so critical that you keep your head up. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that your own personal positive attitude, having people around you that love and care and support you and are constantly affirming you that you're doing the best thing that you can for yourself, for your future health, all of that. It's, I mean, that, that's what keep, kept me buoyed throughout all of it was, was my family's love and support. So what were the next steps for the new and improved Jesse? You know, what, <laughs> what was the, what was the treatment process like from there? Yeah. So it was, it was pretty straightforward about, um, a couple days after surgery, I started my, um, egg preservation actually. So I was able to do two rounds. The first round was not successful, but the second round was. And so we were able to save eggs and also embryos, um, not knowing for sure at that stage, if I was going to need to have chemotherapy or not which can drastically impact your, your fertility. So, um, that was the next, that was the next month of my life was doing those shots and doing the, the harvesting, I guess you would call it. Uh, but beyond that, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to take a month off of work, um, during that time, uh, a month leading up and a month after. And, I just got really in tune with myself. I, I felt a higher level of prioritization to my health. Um, and I actually, I, I became vegan as well. So I was spending a lot of time with new recipes, a lot of time trying new things out, um, you know, and, and not to diminish just the actual healing that was going on as well. You know, my, my body was healing at, at first, it seemed like it was very slow. You know, I remember taking about 30 minutes to walk a block um, down mm -hmm. my street. And and that was really frustrating for me. But, but my new diet, I was doing a lot of supplements and vitamins. All of that combined to, to really make my healing process um, more manageable. Well, let's talk about nutrition. That's kind of the wheelhouse of the exam room. Dr. Christy Funk, she is a big proponent of the plant-based diet. Is that where you learn that this is something that will benefit me as, as the treatment progresses? It is. It is. It was during our very first, um, during our very first meeting, actually, our first appointment together that it was, it was my husband who brought up nutrition. Um, he had been vegetarian for many, many years before meeting me and, I didn't eat a whole lot of red meat, but I ate a lot of chicken. And he was the one that brought up, hey, what's going on with, with the nutrition? Because Jessie eats a lot of chicken. She eats a lot of yogurt, a lot of cheese. What, what are the potential links here? And so Christy talked to us and then pointed us in the direction of, of her book. She has an entire chapter um, on nutrition in her book. And once I heard that and once I read that chapter, it was a no-brainer to me. It was, I am going to do everything in my power to prevent this from happening again, from a recurrence happening. And I'm not going to just rely on a pill every day. 
um, which is tamoxifen that I'll be on for several years, um, I'm going to do something for myself and I'm going to, to take that control. Um, and for me, becoming vegan was a very empowering decision. Mm -hmm. um, I really feel empowered every single day that I am making the best possible decisions for myself. And how surprised were you when Dr. Funk started explaining to you this this link there? Did it ever enter your mind before then that these animal proteins that we were consuming were really affecting your hormones the way that they were? I had no idea. No, I had no idea. idea. I mean, I'm I'm a very intelligent person. I I do research, but maybe I had blinders on. Maybe the information wasn't. Um, presented to me in, in such a real moment. But I'll tell you, when when I read about it, it was like, how can I ignore this? How right. can I ignore this? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the link, and it really comes down to, you know, inflammation. What are the things that are causing inflammation in your body? Um, the saturated fats and, and the sugars and all of these things that we know at a very like basic level are bad for us and yet we're consuming them every day. I just said, I, I can't do that to myself anymore. You have become a student of nutrition. I am impressed with you, <laughs> Jesse. So when, yeah. So when you were experimenting with recipes when you were at home with that month, what kind of things were you trying out? I'm sure that some listeners are, are wondering. Maybe they're considering making the switch themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I really love lentils now. Lentils are my favorite. Um, lots of lots of soup recipes um, with lentils and beans for protein. Um, I'm very fortunate to live in Santa Barbara here, where we have incredible farmers markets. So I was able to get you know, fresh organic vegetables. I'm a huge fan of broccoli and cauliflower. Um, so for me, it was a lot of, of trying things out that were easy and fresh and um, wouldn't take a whole lot of time to prepare just for the convenience of my life. So I was doing a lot of tacos. Um, there's pretty much, you know, you can do anything with, with a vegan diet. So it's yeah. pretty cool how how creative you can get. You you know, I always make the joke on the show you can become a mad scientist in the kitchen and and you really kind of do, but it's so much fun. Oh yeah. I mean, I got I got really excited. I started making my own hummus, my own pesto, all, all different things that, you know, not just plant-based, but it was also fresh and made at home and everything tastes better when you make it at home. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's what's your go-to? What's your one seed recipe right now? Oh, boy. Uh, well, we're getting into fall now, so I've been um, trying out different butternut squash soup recipes. That's actually one of my favorites. And butternut squash is one of those vegetables that uh, tastes so creamy without needing to add any dairy cream to it. So that's my favorite right now. Outstanding. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, real quick before we wrap up. So what is uh, what's the prognosis for you now? You, you look like you're happy. You look like you're doing great. What does the future hold? Gosh, the sky's the limits. Um, <laughs> I am back at work full time. Uh, I'm on medication, as I mentioned, for probably the next uh, several years, um, haven't been given a, a specific timeline yet, but fortunately I haven't experienced any side effects from the medication. 
so that's been really great. And, you know, for me, one of the most important things that I've taken out of my diagnosis is the ability to, to tell stories like this, you tell my own story and, and share, not, not to make people afraid that, oh, this could happen to you, but be prepared that, that this could happen and do whatever you possibly can in the meantime so that you can try to avoid it. Um, this is not something that I would wish on, on anyone, and that's why I am so passionate about talking about diet and exercise and cutting alcohol and all of these things that we inherently know that we should be doing, but we really need to be doing them to protect ourselves. And I want to end by asking you this question, and it sounds like I kind of know where you may go with this based off of what you just said, but if you could go back and talk to yourself the moment after you read that email and you got that diagnosis, what would you want to tell yourself? What kind of comfort would you try to offer now, knowing what you do and trying to console the person that you were at that moment? I think I would tell myself that uh, you're going to be stronger at the end of this. You're going to be stronger because of this. And that's that's absolutely true. I, I do feel like a, a, I know I'm a stronger person. Uh, more aligned, more in tune, more conscientious person because of all of all of this cancer stuff that I've been through. So for me, it's it's more just, you know, if I could talk to anybody that, that is facing this diagnosis, it's, it's going to be okay. Um, you're going to, to learn a lot about yourself, a lot about life. And at the end of it, you're going to be stronger. Well, Jesse, I would like to thank you so very much for your time today. You are indeed just so inspirational. Your story about how you, you just pushed through and kept acquiring knowledge and did everything in your power to help make your treatment uh, as, as good as it possibly could be and then to take charge of your health moving forward as well. You offer so much hope to so many millions of women out there. And I, I just don't know if you realize how powerful your words are today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the time to be able to, to share what I have to say. What an incredibly powerful story. And I think that you'll join me in wishing Jesse nothing but the best as she continues to thrive in her recovery. And really, that's been the theme for this entire month with all of the survivors whom I've had the privilege of speaking with. Perseverance, never giving up, and never stop learning. You can find a link to Jesse's blog, by the way. We've posted that in the show notes for this episode, and it is most definitely worth taking the time to read. Time now to welcome her surgeon back to the show. Dr. Christy Funk is here on the exam room one final time with the last step to beating breast cancer. And if you followed the first three steps of our Let's Beat Breast Cancer Guide, this one well, it should pretty much take care of itself. And that step is maintaining a healthy weight. 
Because as we heard from Susan Levin earlier in the show, study after study have shown that a low-fat diet is one of the best things women can do to lower the risk of breast cancer and even having it recur. The fourth and final prong of our four-pronged approach to Let's Beat Breast Cancer. It is finally time. We've been talking about this all month long and here to shed some light on maintaining a healthy weight. Why that is so important is the author of Breasts, the Owner's Manual, and the co-founder of the Pink Lotus Breast Cancer Center. Thank you so very much for coming back on the program, Dr. Christy Funk. Excited to be here. Real quick, a lot of people who listen are big on social media. You can follow Dr. Christy Funk at Dr. Christy Funk on both Twitter and Instagram for all sorts of information and knowledge and inspiration. You're a good follow, Doc. Ah, thank you. Let's talk about this fourth and final prong here. We've talked about eating the whole food plant-based diet. We've talked about exercising regularly. We've talked about limiting alcohol. And let's conclude with maintaining a healthy weight. What is the connection between obesity and breast cancer risk? The main connection between being overweight and breast cancer is that everywhere you have a flat, a flat, (laughs) a fat cell that is probably not that flat, um, everywhere you have a fat cell, you have an enzyme called aromatase. And this aromatase is busy all day long churning out estrogen from precursors, specifically testosterone and stuff from your adrenal gland, like androstenedione. So even women who are postmenopausal, so their ovaries have quit long ago, they'll come and tell me, well, you know, I've been in menopause for 10 years, so I don't have any estrogen. Ah, 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 you do. And the more fat you have, the more estrogen you have because of this aromatase enzyme. Because 80% of breast cancers are fed and fueled by estrogen, Being overweight, particularly after menopause, absolutely amps up the food for these cancer cells. But if that's really true, then it should bear out in studies, in studies of women who are postmenopausal and are not taking hormone replacement. So you don't want the studies confounded by someone taking estrogen, right? So I want all of you guys out there to think about how much you weighed in high school and think how much you weigh now. To track that out and get the difference, <laughs> and according to that study that I just mentioned, this is what they found. For p- people who are plus or minus eight pounds from their high school weight, you have 0% increase in breast cancer risk. So good for you and your skinny jeans because I <laughs> So there you go. Um, but that is excellent. So plus or minus eight. If you've gained between eight and 14 pounds, 13.9 pounds, your weight gain just elevated your breast cancer risk by 25%. Wow. And and then between 14 and 20 pounds, that is a 60% increase. And if you have gained more than 20 pounds since high school, you just doubled your risk of breast cancer. So the being overweight cancer connection is absolutely real. And besides elevating the estrogen levels, it also elevates just that inflammatory environment around your body. So we can measure the inflammatory markers like TNF alpha and IGF one and veg two and these, all these letters and numbers that don't mean much to you probably, but mean a lot to a cancer cell. Cause when they're flying around, they have the environment they need. That's full of inflammation and free radicals to promote a cancer. So this is so true that women who are overweight or obese have between 50 and 250% increase 
in breast cancer incidence, and then a 50% increase in recurrence, and a 50% increase in death relative to their risk if they were ideal body weight. So there are 2.1 billion people, 30% of the planet Earth is overweight or obese. 68.8% of Americans are overweight or obese. If you're not sure if you're too chubby, um, just ask a friend. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> well, man, that's it. Man, that, mm, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I'm kidding. But um, you can just go on Google or we have at pinklotus.com forward slash BMI. Um, that is a body mass index calculator. So you just plug in the numbers of your height and weight and choop, it'll tell you if your ideal body weight or too skinny or overweight or actually obese or super obese, morbidly obese. Here is the good news though about all of this is that across the board, all studies in weight loss and breast cancer show time and time and time again, that if you lose the weight, you lose your risk. So it pays to be a loser. <laughs> right on. Um, you mentioned to me before we started rolling the segment that there's an interesting correlation between women who undergo uh, bariatric surgery and the risk of cancer. What is that? This one study showed that there was an 85% reduction in breast cancer for those who underwent gastric bypass surgery. 85%. 85%. So that will be a combination of the actual weight loss. So you're losing that estrogen making machine, but also you're dramatically dropping those inflammatory markers that come from being overweight, like the IGF-1 and the TNF-alpha and all that. So, you know, for my morbidly obese patients, while I encourage them to to know that it's not a failure to move toward gastric balloons or gastric bypass or these other um, stomach state, you know, there's different ways that are doing it now to limit your ability to eat, right? If you limit the space in your stomach, there's only so much you can fit in there before you're going to throw up. So you don't want to throw up. So you don't need as much. And then it leads to the weight loss and the biochemical structure inside your body starts changing as a response to losing the weight and having less um, gastric volume in there. So it's something to consider. It's, it's, I, I get really sad when people think it's a failure on their part, like their willpower wasn't strong enough to just eat less and move more. It's not about that for everybody. And really getting aggressive with the surgical intervention for weight loss could be the difference between staying alive and not. I mean, obviously, that's something that I could talk about for days, for hours. I mean, that's that's a whole other program. Uh, but absolutely, I will tell you for a fact that it is not the cure-all bariatric surgery you're, because your stomach, it's, it's so elastic that, you know, it'll expand back out over time and you can eat more and more volumes of food. And if you're not careful, you go right back to the place where you were, you know, when you started. So, you know, it's definitely not a cure-all, but that study is just fascinating to me. I'm, I'm going to look that up. That's really, really interesting research there. Yeah, I'll send you the reference. Well, thank you very much. So we talked about that. We've we've hit on all four prongs. You know, Dr. Funk, you've just been such a wealth of information throughout the month and with our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. And I cannot thank you enough. Um, I, I cannot let you go this month without asking you about the Pink Lotus Foundation, which I think is you are just doing such critically important work. You're offering free screenings to underprivileged women. Uh, I mean, that's that's really remarkable and important, important work. Thank you. It was, the Pink Lotus Foundation was founded by my husband, Andy, and its sole focus is to provide low-income, uninsured and underinsured women 100% free access to screening, genetics, 
biopsies, so diagnosis and cancer care. It really is just madness to us that people have to decide between buying groceries and gas or paying cash to figure out what this lump is that they can feel in their breast. So we're doing all, uh, we are doing our small part to try to stop that madness and provide women a place to go to get the answers they need. And I think it really goes hand in hand because, you know, it, the unfortunate truth is, you know, when a person doesn't have a whole lot of money, they rarely have access to high quality food. And that means a lot of times they're going to be eating high fat food. They're probably going to be at a higher risk of being overweight. Ergo, they are going to be at a much higher risk of developing breast cancer themselves. Yes, sad but true chain of events. Absolutely. But uh, Dr. Christy Funk, uh, this has been anything but sad. You, you've just, like I said, wealth of knowledge and hope and inspiration throughout the month. And it doesn't have to end here because coming up next April, you have the Cancer Kicking Summit. This is super exciting. I am super excited about it. So the Cancer Kicking Summit is a two-day deep dive into the soil of your life where we will examine what we need to plant in there to grow the most fruitful, bountiful existence possible. It is at the Terranea Resort, an oceanfront, breathtaking place that is the perfect venue for a total life transformation. So please join me there. Oh, and I have a special discount for you. When you check out at pinklotus.com forward slash summit, put in PCRM for your special discount. I love it. That is so generous of you. Thank you so much. I love you guys. <laughs> and we love you too. Dr. Christy Funk on Twitter and Instagram at drchristyfunk. Thank you again so very much from the bottom of all of our hearts. You are amazing. Thank you. It is not too late to take that pledge right now to do your part to beat breast cancer and follow Dr. Funk's four steps. Eat a plant-based diet, exercise, cut back on alcohol, and keep a healthy weight. Pledge to do that right now. Pledge to beat breast cancer at letsbeatbreastcancer.org. And when you take that pledge, not only will you be taking control of your health, but you'll also get the Let's Beat Breast Cancer e-cookbook. And this thing is filled with delicious plant-based recipes that will knock your socks off and fight cancer at the same time. Now, you've heard me talk about it all this month, and it is worth saying again. The lasagna in this e-cookbook is unlike anything you have ever tasted. And, and... Dr. Funk says that her antioxidant smoothie has the most cancer-kicking compounds found in one single glass of goodness anywhere on Earth. So take the pledge now at letsbeatbreastcancer.org. The Physicians Committee's Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign is made possible in part by RBG Fit Club. More than a club, it's a holistic lifestyle movement. Check out their clothing, essentials, podcasts, and workshops at rbgfitclub.com. Buy Hungry Planet, premium plant-based meats with the flavor and feel you know, but with the nutrients of vegetables. Sure to satisfy omnivores, carnivores, flexitarians, vegetarians, and vegans alike, check them out online at hungryplanet.us. Buy Pickup Lines informative videos and easy to read articles and delicious recipes all of them plant-based nourish the cells and the soul at pickuplimes.com and by hungry harvest 
making a positive environmental impact by rescuing fresh and delicious fruits and veggies whose only crime is being a little off-size, off-color, maybe a little ugly, or overproduced. You can combat food waste with their doorstep produce delivery service. Find out more and see the innovation firsthand at HungryHarvest.net. What an extraordinary month filled with nutrition knowledge and inspiration and facts that can hopefully change the course of history. Because our stories, they don't have to be stories of recovery. They can be stories of health and of someone who is thriving in life. This month was filled with tips on preventing breast cancer to spare thousands of women from having to battle for their lives. This series was about helping those in that battle have the best chance to survive and go on to thrive. And it was also about helping those who have already won so that they never have to fight again. And I want to thank you for being part of this series with me. And now we need your help to get this information out to even more eyes and ears. And you can help us do that right now by subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or wherever shows are available. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. Because when you leave that five-star rating, you help the show climb in the rankings. And the higher we are in the rankings, the more eyes, the more ears, the more people will find this information. So please subscribe and leave that five-star rating and your help can go a long way toward helping save a life. If you ever have any questions or loose ends that you'd like for us to tie up, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Twitter at Chuck Carroll WLC or at PCRM. We're also on Instagram again at Chuck Carroll WLC and the show this time a little bit different is at Physicians Committee. Shoot us a message. We would love to hear back from you and we will do our best to get you an answer. And before we sign off, I also wanted to take a minute to thank all of our wonderful and insightful guests who made our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series possible all month long. My thanks go out to Dr. Christy Funk, Dr. Neil Barnard, Lee Crosby, Susan Levin, Jesse Davidson, Jennifer Hill, Allison Tierney, and Christine Collins. We cannot thank them enough for doing their part to help beat breast cancer. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based and let's beat breast cancer. <laughs>